Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Spirit of Missions podcast brought to you by the Student Missionary Union of Biola University. Here on this podcast, we seek to expand awareness of the missions field through cultural immersion and firsthand testimonies from our brothers and sisters sharing the good news of the gospel through the world. My name is Jack Burns, and here with me today is Brent Storms, the president of Orchard Group. Hey, Jack. Good to be with you today. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Um, the first question I want to ask you is what has been your path in ministry and how has it brought you to this point working for Orchard Group? That's a good question. It, it is my path, my background that informs how I view the ministry that we now have. Uh, I grew up in middle America, a couple different places in Indiana and Oklahoma. Uh, my dad was pastor and so I was always a part of the church. Uh, but frankly, never had considered how specific individual churches get started. To my, in my mind, they just always existed. They were always yeah. there. So I'd never thought at all about the beginning of a new church. And uh, went to a Christian college in Missouri to study for ministry. And then uh, together as a newly married couple, my wife and I moved to the Boston area uh, so that I could go to seminary at Gordon-Conwell Seminary. And oh, really? Really, it was that that was the beginning of my eyes opening to a couple things. One, that there are places in our country and, and definitely around the world where there's a need for more new churches to be started because the, the number of churches per capita is so low relative to other places mm. in the country. So we looked around in the Boston area and realized that to find a a gospel-centered, you know, Bible-believing, uh, evangelistically-oriented church. There just weren't that many, and huh. there was a need for more churches like that to be started. I also uh, got connected with Orchard Group during that time. Orchard Group had its history, uh, started in 1948 in New York City Metro and slowly expanded along the East Coast and helping to start churches, and that's how, well, when we moved to Boston, I got connected with Orchard Group. And a number of different circumstances came together so that by the time I graduated from seminary, I was given the opportunity to start a new church in the Boston area uh, back in the 90s. And wow. um, I was young and fairly inexperienced at that point. And, uh, <laughs> and but Orchard Group was there to walk with me every step of the way with mm. finding the funding that we needed, being given the resourcing and the um, direction that we needed the support as we started this new church. And uh, it, it turned out to be a really wonderful experience, hmm. gave birth to a great new church. And really, we, as a young church, we got into the um, ministry of helping other new churches get started. So hmm. there were leaders within our church that uh, we sent out to plant other churches around New England and in other eastern east coast cities yeah we also had the opportunity to plant a cambodian church in our community where we were living wow. there were thirty-five thousand cambodians it's the second largest cambodian city outside of cambodia um, wow <laughs> lowell massachusetts um, they were political refugees in the 80s uh, hmm. from the the killing fields basically they were you know the people who escaped uh, to save their own lives Wow, And so there was this pocket of people in our city that, uh, for the most part, were not English speakers. They, they hadn't come seeking new jobs or a great opportunity. They were just trying to survive. 
And uh, God connected us with a great um, Cambodian man who was a pastor, and he, uh, we helped him as they got this new church started. So I say all that to say I went from, as a young person, not really even being familiar at all with, with the process of starting a church mm. to both starting a church ourselves and then God giving us this opportunity to really invest in other uh, people as they were starting churches. And that was really the beginning of my journey. I got to I joined the staff of Orchard Group in 2004 okay. and um, became president in 2009. And uh, it's so really for the last, whatever that is, 16 years now, this has been my whole passion has been uh, finding leaders who have a vision to start a church, helping them get the resourcing they need to make it happen, and then supporting them every step of the way so that they're not doing it alone, but they have a team of people that are there to help them make it happen. Wow. That's that's tr truly wonderful. I I think that's such a beautiful story and how it's involved and incorporated itself into the ministry that you now work with. When you guys are looking to start planting a church, what does what does a good leader look like for a church? What kind of people do you look for to say, okay, we want to put a church around those that person or something like that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I would start with something that might just seem like a given, but I don't ever want it to be a given. Character is essential. So we're looking mm -hmm. for the characteristics that the Bible would describe for, you know, for leaders. Um, yeah. And so a, a good grounding in character and also doctrinally. Um, but those are things that we would sort out as we're in the interview process. To, to be really specific, though, a part, uh, the, the things that set apart the kind of leaders who are, who, who have proven to be very good at starting a new church, mm -hmm. I would just say there's about five or six ca uh, characteristics. So one is vision capacity. So this is the okay. ability to envision something that doesn't yet exist, describe it in detailed terms, and you know imagine a new reality that doesn't yet exist. So vision okay. capacity. Another characteristic is the ability to create ownership in other people. So some people are visionaries, but then they don't have the ability to get others to buy into the vision. Oh, wow. To see it and to say, I'm going to join that. I want to be a part of that. Um, another characteristic is that they relate well to the unchurched. Uh, okay. The whole reason we're interested in starting churches is to reach people who aren't yet followers of Jesus and help them become disciples. So, um, yeah, there are some leaders who have grown up in a church setting and so they're very comfortable with church people, hmm. but they're not as comfortable out in the real world. Yeah. And so we really are looking for leaders who can relate well with unchurched people uh, so that they can, you know, connect them to community, but eventually connect them with Jesus. Uh, another characteristic is spousal cooperation. So if okay. the leader's married, it's really proven to be true that they have to, as a couple, be in it together. It doesn't really work if the if there isn't a, a spousal uh, cooperation. Now that can take all kinds of forms. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it can be volunteer leader on staff at the church. Could be uh, has a job out in the community, so you know they're, they're helping to support the family. Uh, could be staying at home with the kids to free up the the leader. But it can take all forms. But they have to see it as something they share. Hmm. And then. 
uh, two more. Uh, <laughs> resilience is essential. Uh, huh. Just the ability to get knocked down and get back up again um, and keep going and not quit because it's hard. And every leader that starts a new church encounters obstacles along the way that would would really take them out um, hmm. if they're not committed. This is a big part of my passion personally, because I know when we started, I had the great support of people who were there with me until the church was fully established yeah. four or five years in. And we'd raised up leaders to stand shoulder to shoulder with our team. But um, I'm committed to seeing that the leaders that we support will show resilience, but that we will be there to support them in that. So, hmm. And then the, the last thing, and this is especially true because we work almost exclusively in cities and in major metros um, okay. in the U.S. and around the world, but um, cultural agility uh, is the term I would use. So what happens if you live in a small town or suburban context, you might find yourself in a fairly homogenous environment where most people look the same, have, the, have come from the same socioeconomic environment. Mm -hmm. And so moving about the spaces in that kind of homogenous environment doesn't require a lot of adaptation. Uh, it's, it's very comfortable and familiar. So somebody might exist well in that kind of space. Yeah. But when we're planting a church in Harlem in New York City or in, you know, a, a downtown neighborhood in Seattle, yeah, that leader from moment to moment is going to encounter people from all different backgrounds, walks of life, mm. experiences, socioeconomic environments. So the ability to adapt culturally uh, to different uh, interactions, conversations, groups of people is really critical. And so because of the specific context where we work, we feel like cultural agility is key. I could make a longer list, but really those are the... <laughs> Vision capacity, creating ownership in other people, connecting with the unchurched, spousal cooperation, resilience, and cultural agility. Uh, and, and, you know, if you start thinking about it, um, there are a lot of people who are very gifted in ministry, but don't possess that set of skills hmm. that is really essential to being able to start something from scratch that doesn't exist and get other people to buy in and stay with it yeah. long enough to be to become fully established. So finding the right leaders are, is one of the most important things we do. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think even like speaking more to that last section of cultural agility, do you think that the places that you plant a church would either change the leader you look for, or maybe the process in which you would go to try and plant this church, or do you feel like it's, they stay pretty, pretty consistent uh, we always are tuned in to the fit of a particular leader to a particular place. Hmm. So uh, the, maybe the best way to say it is we've, we've encountered some leaders along the way that probably could be dropped into any context yeah. and successfully start something because mm -hmm. they're that capable. Most of the leaders we work with, though, uh, we feel like they will be effective in a particular context or environment. Maybe it's mm. the kind of environment that they grew up in. Maybe it's home. So for instance, we were working with the church, two churches that we started in the last five years in Harlem. Uh, one of them is led 
by African-American leader who grew up outside of New York City. His parents are both attorneys. He grew up in kind of a wealthier environment, but he played yeah. basketball as a kid. He knows Harlem. He grew up in kind of going to Harlem. Um, uh, and so he, he, he knew the context and, and connects well there, even though it's not where he's from. Um, huh. The other guy uh, who planted a church there, um, in Harlem recently, uh, he grew up there. I mean, he, you know, he calls himself the hood pastor, you know, I mean, he grew up on yeah. the streets, you know, kind of connecting with the, the, the typical long-term Harlem resident. And so hmm. it's home for him. It's his environment. So, yeah. um, it, we're, we have to know though, that we're dropping a leader into a context that isn't going to be so unfamiliar to them or so challenging for them to connect with people that they're, you know, that they're going to fail to succeed, not necessarily because of some fault of their own, but just because they're in the wrong context. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's a, that's a challenging um, decision-making process that our team has to work through. Yeah. Yeah. Now this might seem like an obvious question, but considering like these different contexts and the context of these cities and the larger like metropolitan areas that you guys usually work in, what is the importance of the church in these areas? Yeah. Uh, well, there's a, um, I mean, there's probably a long list of things. I'm trying to think about how to narrow. Very true. Uh, uh, a, a part of our, like, just as a ministry, we feel like there's a need for churches in all different kinds of contexts. So yeah. uh, because we have a narrow focus does not mean that we're, um, you know, not in favor of churches being started in small towns and in suburbs. Yeah. Like that needs to happen too. It just so happens that we have a ministry that got its start in New York City. So just Very a little true. background on, on our, our beginnings. Um, there was a, a man in the 1940s who had a vision to be a missionary to the Soviet Union. Hmm. So he came to New York City to embed himself in a Russian uh, community so that he could learn the language and the culture with a view toward getting into the Soviet Union as a missionary. Yeah. Um, obviously in the 1940s, that wasn't an easy thing. You, you know, mm -hmm. there was, there was not an easy way to just like arrive in the Soviet Union and be yeah. a missionary. So <laughs> this, that effort kind of got uh, thwarted, but his vision shifted to say, you know, we can be missionaries right here in New York city as well. And so mm. um, that was the beginning of our, our, ministry. So uh, some of it is just the stewardship of having a long, decades-long ministry history in a place like New York City, yeah. and then a conviction that because God's had us working in this environment, then maybe we have a responsibility to help in other places that are like New York City. So hmm. That makes sense. Um, you know, so New York might share more in common with Paris or with Seattle than it does with Schenectady, New York, which is only, you know, uh, a couple hours away, but, yeah. but culturally very different. So, so the cities have a cultural similarity. And so we're sort of seeing ourselves as stewards of this history that we have. So some of it for us is that, but I also do believe that, um, you know, cities, uh, at, at times have been, um, avoided by churches because they're mm. considered to be dangerous or too expensive or too challenging. Huh. So I don't know that the church has always, um, uh, you know, set its focus on having a, a strong presence in, 
in cities. I don't mean to say that exclusively because there are some yeah. exceptions, of course. Um, the other thing is just the influence. I mean, that's a that's a big part of it. You look at places where, you know, uh, government and business and art and culture and all of those things are influenced through cities uh, in a disproportionate way. And so the idea is if you can reach people who are you know, living in cities and help them become disciples of Jesus, then that impacts how they go about the work that they do. And that can, you know, have a transformative effect on our culture at large. And even, you know, like in the New Testament, you see that Paul was focused on planting churches in cities. Yeah. And it was from those cities that the gospel spread out to the smaller towns and villages. Uh, it, it does seem that that's a more natural flow uh, in the way that the world works than to start in the smaller towns and cities and expect it to move into the city. So hmm. Hmm. that's really fascinating. Well, I want to, I want to know more about, <coughs> excuse me, <laughs> bless you, bless you. Sorry. Um, you're fine. Um, I would want to know more maybe about some of the specifics of how your church, how your church planting has going. So what are some like truly some highlights or some praise reports, even of ways that planting churches in cities has been, um, seen to be such a growing point for a community or an opportunity for the Lord to really enter into places that he wasn't as strongly um, entered into previously. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I would want to keep the focus on like the work that God is doing in the world, not exclusively yes. through Orchard Group, but let me just give one example. So, um, and I may get the dates not entirely uh, correct on this, okay. but um, Redeemer uh, Presbyterian Church in New York City, led by Tim Keller, uh, has a, a great presence in the city. And they've also been very involved in church planting, largely in the training. So we, we mm. partner with them really closely because where we, Orchard Group does more uh, funding and supporting planters where they do more training of planters. So a lot of times mm. we'll have a planter that we want to work with and they'll go through the training for through Redeemer city to city yeah. or city to city will raise up a leader and that leader needs support and funding. And so we'll come alongside and, and help them. So, huh. and there are other groups that have been very collaborative in New York over the last 20 or 30 years. So roughly 25 years ago, um, the, the percentage of Manhattan residents attending an evangelical church was 1%. Wow. Um, and then uh, about 10 years ago, I'm trying to remember the exact dates of their studies, but I'll just give okay. rough terms. Uh, yeah. It had grown to 5% of the oh, wow. 5% of Manhattan residents attending an evangelical church. And now that number has even increased further uh, you know, in the more recent years. Now that's not solely the result of Orchard Group's church planning yeah. efforts, but it's certainly, we're certainly a part of that mm -hmm. in a collaborative way with other groups. And, you know, a sociologist a lot of times would say like somewhere between 10 to 14% of a population is when you start to get to a tipping point. And huh. so you can really see that, um, you know, the impact of organizations like ours collaboratively working together to start churches can really make a difference. Uh, the thing that probably is the most compelling to me, like in terms of yeah. what I love to see the most, is um, when our 
leaders, start churches, and then become healthy. And so, so we're always aiming for self-supporting so that they're financially viable, mm-hmm. self-governing so that they have leaders internally like, as elders that would eventually be raised up. Yes. And then the last one is self-replicating, that they themselves would send out mm. church planters and support new churches. And to me, we see that happening all the time. Like I just mentioned the churches in Harlem. Yeah. Uh, there are there are other new churches in New York that have been born out of a church that we got started. And now we're supporting the second or third generation of church planters because of their um, commitment, not just to their own church, but to then helping other people start as well. So that's the thing that really excites me the most. Yeah. I mean, for, for good reason. Cause then it's like, it's that chain reaction where it starts to spread. You plant one, each one plant or something along those yeah. lines. That's truly, that's truly beautiful. Well, I want to ask you two questions here. Um, just kind of as we're ending our time, one primarily is what are ways that people um, have had misconceptions of your ministry or the ministry of church planting maybe as a whole? Uh, I think one of the misconceptions can be based in fear from other leader, other church leaders in a community. So a new church planter arrives in the community. There's 10 other churches already there and there's suspicion or fear that they've come to try to steal the people from their churches. Gotcha. I don't know of any church planter that we're working with and most church planters anywhere whose motivation is to steal church people from other churches. <laughs> the reason you're in this is because you want to see people who aren't yet followers of Jesus get connected with him, become part of a community, find the richness and you know and depth of both connection with God and others, and then share that with other people. So, I mean, that's that's what everybody's motivated by. And there's a fear that, oh, they're going to come in and everybody's going to go, you know, leave my church and go to that church. But the studies mm-hmm. are really clear on this. I mean, this, there, there's a, a strong evidence that when a new church comes into a community, it cannot, it can only, it can both grow itself and raise the bar for other churches as well. So one mm-hmm. of the things that happens, a new church comes into the community and the other churches watch as they do something different or they're, you know, throwing great parties for their community or they're serving in a particular way. And they're like, oh, we could do that too. So they huh. learn, it's, they, they see things from a new church that they're like, we should learn from that. And, and this happens too, where people come into a new church and they become followers of Jesus and they start to grow. And then they're like, this isn't the place for me. They end up going to one of those other churches that was already there and exists. So the reality is yeah. it can raise the bar for everybody, but the fear is, oh, this is going to de- tracked from uh, from what we're doing in ministry i mean uh, so many parts of our country need more new churches and more churches to reach their communities and we can do it in a way that's collaborative and it doesn't have to be competitive hmm. Hmm. wow that's wonderful that's wonderful and i think last question Last question. How can people support your ministry or if the focus is on local churches and church planting, how can people be better supportive of church planters or their local church in that way? Uh, I'll give a few answers here. Um, I mean, there's some obvious ones. You pray, you can give, but I really want to focus on participation. 
um, okay. in, in, two, in two particular ways. One, there might be some listeners to your podcast here who are uh, Bible ministry majors and are yeah. thinking that I'm preparing for ministry full-time as a vocation. And if you have an entrepreneurial spirit about you, then I would say learn more about church planting and consider the possibility that God might want to use you not just to pastor an existing church, but hmm. to potentially go out and start a church of your own hmm. um, with support. Obviously, there's great resources, yes. uh, Orchard Group and others that can come alongside and help with that. Or if you are pastoring a church, consider seeing your church invest in new churches getting started. Um, that has been a beautiful thing to watch is a lot of our financial partners that give to support church planting. They get so invested in watching these new churches flourish and, and thrive mm. and grow. And it is inspiring to their own congregation, but it also allows them to kind of learn uh, from what these younger leaders are doing that they might be able to implement. So. That's one thing, but the, the maybe the more important thing, and again, I'm imagining that the listeners to your podcast would cut across all kinds of majors and career interests. Yes. Um, when you graduate from Biola and you get your first job and it takes you to Seattle or Portland or it takes you to Boston or New York I, and you're working for XYZ company and you're finding yourself there, I would challenge you to find a new church that's getting started and huh. join it. Uh, become a part of something from the ground up. There's really nothing like it to watch mm. something that's in no more than an idea and a dream uh, get shape and grow and, um, you know, connect with people. So, and, and I can tell you from the perspective of a church planter, when a yeah. young person who's starting their career moves into <laughs> your city and joins your church, the infusion of energy that that can bring uh, is massive. I mean, the, the, the anecdotally, I would say young people who are starting out their careers are some of the best people at inviting others to join them huh. and, and show up at church, be, partly because you don't have, if you're, if you're not yet married with kids, uh, it's, it's a lot easier for you to decide on a, you know, on the spot, like, Oh, I'll go check that out. I'll yeah. invite my friends. I'll show up. And, um, you could be uh, far more encouraging and impactful with a brand new church that's getting started than you probably would even realize. Hmm. And the the impact of your energy and participation at a at a small church that's just getting started might yeah. be significantly greater than showing up at the large church that already exists that has all the ministries and has all the you know, opportunities to connect and all of that. Um, yeah, that can make, that could be good for you, but it it probably isn't making the kind of impact there that it could at a mm. new church. So that would be my strongest encouragement: would be move to a city, get a job, find a new church, and be a part of it. Wow, well, I know I will definitely take that to heart when it comes time for me to be in those situations. But that's truly great, great wisdom. And again. Thank you so much for your time just joining joining us here on this podcast. It's a lot of great information that you, you've shared with us in the ways that the Lord has worked in both your ministry and the way that he has worked in churches across the country and the nation for that matter. So thank you again for joining us. It's great to be with you. <laughs> 
Absolutely. Well, I want to say thank you to everyone who has worked on the Spirit of Missions podcast to make this possible, primarily Alexio and his Marcom department uh, at SMU and everyone else in SMU who has done everything they can to support our mission here at the Spirit of Missions podcast. Um, And again, thank you to all of our listeners. Stay tuned. There will be another podcast coming next Wednesday. Have a great rest of your week.